0: And on this week's show, lots on the Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers as Burundi made it for the first time, along with three other East African teams. Zimbabwe qualified for a fourth time. We hear from striker Tino Kadewere.
1: Now we have achieved what we wanted. We're going to Egypt and it's everyone's dream. Look at the fans. They were very massive and they were very supportive.
0: But disappointment for countries like the Gambia, Gabon and Liberia. They're not going to Egypt 2019. And it's Global Money Week and Stuart looks at the highest
2: paid players in the English Premier League. In fact, someone has worked out that Sanchez is costing Manchester United $14,000 a minute for the actual time he's been on the pitch this season. That's all coming
0: up. So plenty on the Africa Cup of Nations this week as the final 10 places for the 2019 edition were decided last weekend and we now know the 24 teams playing up the finals in Egypt in June and July. The draw will be made on the 12th of April. There were lots of disappointments along the way. The most bitter one last weekend was for Mozambique who needed to win away to Guinea-Bissau and they scored in the 88th minute to go 2-1 up and looked to be heading to Egypt only to concede in the third minute of stoppage time for it to end 2-2 and for the Mamba's joy to turn to heartbreak. But What stands out for me, Solomon, is East Africa having four teams at the finals, with Burundi qualifying for the first time, Tanzania making it for the first time since 1980, Kenya back, they were last there in 2004, and Uganda, who'd gone 39 years without qualifying, have now made back-to-back qualifications for the Nations Cup. Uh, Tanzania's president John Magufuli will give the national team players and coaching staff $5,000 each and a piece of land in the capital city, Dodoma. Well, exciting times for East African football, Solomon. Well, it's definitely uh, exciting
3: times for East African football, Steve. And I'm really, really excited, you know, because I feel East Africa is this region that has really underachieved for a very, very long time. Uh, we haven't seen the best of uh, football teams across uh, East Africa, and I feel that they deserve to get on a continental platform like the AFCON to be able to showcase what they have. Uh, this is a region that is so rich with uh, with football players. Back in the 80s, they, you know, countries like Uganda, uh, Kenya. They produced some really great players, you know, that uh, that did marvellous things. And I guess the 80s should be their, 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 their golden years, obviously. But, but to be able to see four teams from East Africa competing in the finals uh, in Egypt, that's really great. Burundi qualifying for the first time ever. I think it's really exciting because Burundi is a nation that's going through a lot of political challenges and also social challenges. So I, I guess it's a, it will bring something for the football fans to really talk about and to be able to put smile on their faces. And also, I think their participation would really uh, encourage and inspire a new generation of uh, young players that would come through that would be inspired by just uh, their participation and, and be inspired to take on football. And, and also, hopefully, we'll see investment in the you know, Burundian uh, League. Tanzania making it the first time since uh, uh, 1980. Isn't it amazing that the last time Tanzania was at the Afcon tournament was in Nigeria and now qualifying for the first time since 1980 they're qualifying with a Nigerian coach in the presence of uh, former Super Eagles uh, player Emmanuel Amonike Emmanuel Amonike has quite a lot of experience from his days as a player playing for Zamalek and moving to Barcelona uh, he did great things. So he has played at the highest level. And then he came uh, to Nigeria, retired, you know, took on coaching, coached the under-17, went to the World Cup, won the World Cup. And I think that the, the, the decision by the Tanzanian FA to get him to coach them was a masterpiece. And now they can really uh, bring... Smiles in the faces of uh, the devoted football fans in, in Tanzania who support football very, very much. And then we have Kenya for the first time since uh, 2004. Victoria Wanyama is leading this team, and uh, I think he has done his best and he has achieved that in, in bringing them all the way to, uh, to this level, uh, w- which is great. Kenya deserves that. There's a huge fan base, football fan base in Kenya that supports African football and also, like, the British you know, uh, Premier League and the La Liga and the Bundesliga but it's good to have their own now uh, their own team now going into an, an international tournament and we have Uganda back-to-back for Uganda and it's, it's good they don't have a great league but they have great players talented players that have been able to uh, you know go out and play and and, and really do well and, and that's important so uh, and I hope to see one of these teams not just going into the round of 16 but but you know if we get one team getting to the quarterfinal or semifinal, I think it will be a good achievement for uh, East African football.
0: Yes, and great to see four East African countries at the Nations Cup this time. Well, there was great excitement here in Harare as Zimbabwe qualified for a fourth time, beating Congo Brazzaville 2-0 to finish top of Group G, with a full house of 60,000 fans at the National Sports Stadium. Uh, very sadly one supporter died in a stampede outside the stadium as the queues to get in were very long. Uh, she was 38 and was at a national team game for the first time with her husband and she was trampled to death at the gates. Uh, this comes when Zimbabwe is coping with the devastating cyclone that caused massive loss of life in Zimbabwe, in Mozambique and in Malawi. Uh, the Zimbabwe players wore black armbands and said that they were playing for the victims. Well, that sadness aside, you can feel the amazing atmosphere here at the stadium as I spoke to Warrior striker Tino Kadewere.
1: Very happy. Uh, we needed this a lot and we have been working hard for this. And uh, now we have achieved what we wanted. We're going to Egypt and it's everyone's dream. Look at the fans. They were very massive and they were very supportive today. We want to thank them. This is what we really wanted and uh, I can't express my joy today. It all seemed pretty comfortable. Yeah, it felt very good because we were playing at home and the supporters were with us today uh, from the first minute, so that was very good and we we are happy that the game that we played was very impressive and we are hoping to take that to Egypt. Uh, work to be done ahead of Egypt? Uh, we, we really need to work out because this is another stage and uh, for us who have been there, we have, we have uh, witnessed what can be done there and we know what needs to be done. So we're going to help each other and talk to each other and make sure that we work out until we go to Egypt.
0: That's Tino Kadewere. I also spoke to defender Tendai Darikwa, who plays for Nottingham Forest in the English Championship. Darikwa has lived most of his life in England, but after lengthy negotiations, he decided to commit to Zimbabwe. And after some delays, he got his Zimbabwean passport last year. So he's thrilled that all of this has led to a successful Africa Cup of Nations qualification.
3: It's a, it's a real feeling. It's um, it's one of the best moments I've had in uh, my football career. At the moment, I'm quite speechless. You know, uh, I try to enjoy with
0: my teammates, and um, and all the supporters of Zimbabwe. I mean, you've joined the squad at just the right time to uh, get the qualification. Yeah, it's something that I, I wanted to do a, a
3: long time ago. Um, it wasn't an easy process because of uh, all the paperwork. You know, trying to attain the. Uh, a passport and things like that but now I'm here um, I-, I can't be happier what do you think about the fans today it's probably the loudest atmosphere I've ever played in, in my career um, I've played in some big some very big football matches um, but that today was something special and it's something that I'll uh, remember for the rest of my life
0: well, Solomon, very good for Southern Africa too, with Zimbabwe, South Africa, Namibia, Angola and Madagascar making it. Uh, Madagascar, although not in Southern Africa as such, it's in the Indian Ocean, but is part of Cassafa, the Southern African Regional Confederation. Uh, Zambia failed to make it along with Malawi, uh, but last time in 2017 it was only Zimbabwe representing the region. Uh, madagascar coming
3: in and qualifying you know against all odds for the first time in its history the island of madagascar getting through. this is exciting steve this is what it's all about you can look at a nation like namibia who has a population of just about two million people and making it all the way and they're going to be playing against you know teams from senegal or teams from uh you know nigeria this is what it's all about you know, they don't even have like a proper professional league. You know, it's almost like a semi-professional league, and 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 that's what it is. Once you have the talent and you're able to put them together, like Madagascar did also, it will really change a whole lot of stuff. And I think uh, though the likes of Zambia, you know, is missing, the likes of Malawi is missing. But at the same time, Lesotho came very very close uh, to qualifying. It's amazing for for the Southern Africa region. I think those are some of the benefits of expanding this. Uh, uh, you know, this. Uh, African event, you know, and bringing in more teams.
0: Yes, and the expanded format means that almost all of Africa's big guns have qualified. Morocco, Senegal, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, Ghana, Tunisia, DR Congo and holders Cameroon all there. Indeed, the biggest team to miss out is Burkina Faso, who finished third at the last edition in 2017 and had appeared at the last five editions of the finals, finishing runners-up in 2013. This time, though, unable to get out of a group with Angola, Mauritania and Botswana. Yes, a shame then for Burkina Faso, also for the Gambia and for Liberia. Both came third in their groups, as did Gabon with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang they needed to win their last game away to Burundi. Uh, so the smaller teams to have made it include Mauritania, Madagascar and Burundi, all there for the first time, Tanzania a second appearance and Namibia qualifying for the third time. Now the format for this Nations Cup with 24 teams will see six groups of four with the top two teams qualifying along with the four third best placed teams. Then there'll be a round of 16 for the first time to start the knockout stage. Uh, so I wonder, Solomon, do you think we'll see any upsets along the way? I strongly believe we
3: could see an upset. I see certain teams uh, that have not been consistent in the African nations, teams like Angola, uh, teams like Tanzania, I wouldn't rule them out. Uh, teams, teams like Mauritania, I wouldn't rule them out. Uh, I, I think there should be a game where big name like Nigeria, uh, Senegal, you know, dropping points. I think Kenya, I'll put my money in Kenya too. Uganda, though, didn't do well in their last game against Tanzania, losing 3-0, but, but I feel they're also a team that, uh, that is on the rise. We hope to see that, and I think it will bring a, a whole lot of excitement uh, to it, and uh, we will begin to see the benefits of the expansion of the Af- African Cup of Nations to the format of uh, 2014.
0: Well, it's certainly going to be very interesting. We'll be building up to the Nations Cup in the coming weeks here on Planet Sport Football Africa. Also, we had the second round of qualifying for the under-23 Africa Cup of Nations taking place over the last few days. Uh, These double up as qualifiers for the All-Africa Games. And the top three at the under-23 Nations Cup finals qualify for the men's football tournament at the Tokyo Olympics next year. So a lot at stake. Defending champions Nigeria overturned a 2-0 first leg deficit to beat Libya 4-0. Victor Osemen with a hat-trick there. Osemen took the Golden Boot Award at the 2015 FIFA Under-17 World Cup. He's on loan to Charleroi in Belgium from Wolfsburg in Germany. Nigeria will play Sudan in the final qualifying round in June. And lots of international friendlies involving African teams in the past few days. Ghana beat Mauritania 3-1. Nigeria beat Egypt 1-0 in a high-profile friendly thanks to a goal scored in the first 10 seconds in Asaba on Tuesday. Paul Onuachu's strike is Nigeria's fastest ever international goal. He scored it on his debut for the Super Eagles. According to UEFA, the fastest ever competitive international goal was scored by Belgium's Christian Benteke after just 8.1 seconds in 2016 against Gibraltar. In other games, Senegal needed Sadio Mane to come off the bench to help them to a 2-1 win over Mali. And Morocco were beaten 1-0 at home to Argentina, who played without Lionel Messi. Now to look forward to this weekend, the CAF Super Cup in Doha, Qatar. Uh, this a one-off match between the winners of the CAF Champions League and the CAF Confederation Cup. So it sees Esperance of Tunisia taking on Raja Casablanca of Morocco. Well, now we turn to social media and we ask for your views on the Nations Cup qualifiers, asking how well your team did. Uh, What do you think about the teams that qualified and who are you now supporting to lift the trophy? Well, Ebrima Conte in The Gambia says, My country is still struggling, but my take is that the host nation Egypt will win the trophy. Uh, To me, the reigning champions Cameroon are not strong enough to win it this time, says Ebrima. Stanley in Ghana agrees, saying every team that made it deserves to be there. Uh, picking the team to win is going to be difficult. Everyone is good to go, but uh, I go for Egypt. Sidu Jambati and the Gambia also sees the trophy going to the north of the continent. Senegal, Ghana and Nigeria will make life difficult during the tournament, but I predict a North African derby in the final, with the host Egypt facing another North African opponent. Olatunde Adeleke, also in the Gambia, says, I wish and pray for my beloved Nigeria to lift the trophy, but I don't just move with emotion, says Olatunde. If they play well and deserve it, then the trophy belongs to them. Apart from that, I pray that the best of the teams will lift the trophy. ricky Ngulube is a very disappointed fan in Zambia. Our team did very bad, says Ricky. We failed to make it in a group with teams like Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau and Namibia. I'm very disappointed with my team and have resolved to support the under-23 national team from now on rather than the senior national team. Well, certainly that was a disappointing campaign from Zambia. Mwinga Maimbolua is also in Zambia. Uh, Sadly, we won't be featuring for the second time running, says Mwinga. We should have qualified considering the opponents we had in our group, but it was not to be. We're now in a rebuilding phase with our focus firmly on AFCON 2021. This time, I expect Mauritania to shock many, but I'll be supporting the Black Stars of Ghana, says Mwinga. This is definitely their year. Dave David Cruz, another disappointed fan in Zambia, says, I'm going for DR Congo and Ghana to reach the final. Musa Kamara in the Gambia is looking forward to the finals, despite his team having failed to qualify. I think it'll be different with 24 teams instead of 16, and with big countries like Senegal, Algeria, Ghana and Nigeria having qualified, says Musa. I'm going to support Ghana. As for my country, the Gambia, we're not ready to qualify yet because our last game against Algeria, we needed a win, but the coach was interested in defending. Why play five or six in defence when you want to win? Well, yes, the Scorpions drew their final qualifier 1-1. That was not enough to see them to the finals. Modu Pabi Baji, also in the Gambia, agrees this could be the Black Stars year, saying, My team tried their level best, but we couldn't make it. I'm now supporting Ghana and hoping it will be very competitive, says Modu. Joseph Adelino in Namibia is delighted that his country has made it through to the finals. Uh, despite losing the last match 4-1 to Zambia, Joseph says, Anyway, I'm glad that Namibia have qualified. That's the team I'm supporting, says Joseph. Everything is possible. We're looking forward to lifting that Nations Cup trophy in Egypt. Well, uh, big dreams there. I did hear coach Ricardo Minetti saying uh, they are the underdogs, but uh, underdogs can bite. <laughs> uh, Goran Gustav is in Ghana. He says, I'm optimistic about the Black Stars, but they need to work on their cohesion. They should reach the semi-finals at least, says Goran. Osmanik Jallo in Sierra Leone says, I'm with Guinea and Nigeria to shine this time. And finally, Amadou Jallo in the Gambia is utterly dejected by the Scorpions' failure to reach the finals. Gambia should stop playing football and concentrate on farming. Uh, That is the only thing that we can do, says Amadou. Countries like Guinea-Bissau and Mauritania have qualified before the Gambia. We're the only country in Zone 2 who are yet to qualify. It was a real shame, says a very disappointed Amadou. Well, thanks very much for all of those comments, always greatly appreciated. And this week on social media, we're asking how important is it for a club to be coached by a former player? In African football, it's been very common for a team to be coached by someone with a strong connection to the club. Someone who was a star player for them, maybe, or one who came through their youth structures, at least, and who understands the club. On the other hand, we are seeing more foreign coaches now coming to the top clubs in Africa. Our European football expert, Stuart Weir, with us in the UK. Uh, Stuart, tell us how things have changed in the English Premier League.
2: Roy Hodgson is 71 and a half, and this month he became the oldest ever Premier League manager. Hodgson, incidentally, along with Olly Guller, Sanchar and Eddie Howe, are the three Premier League managers to have been players at the clubs they currently manage. In the three divisions below the Premier League, 30 of the 70 British managers there have played for the club. Seven in the Championship, but about half the managers in League 1 and 2 are former players at that club. So there, it seems, having an affinity with the club is quite important. So
0: an interesting one this then. How important is it for a club to be coached by a former player? You can give us your views on the situation maybe with your team in your country as well as maybe what do you think about the situation overseas. You can post a comment on our Facebook page that's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. How important is it for a club to be coached by a former player? Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And you can listen on our New Look website, that's planetsport.tv. Our other shows are there too, that's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby podcast, plus interviews with sports stars including Ghana's Christian Atu and Brazil's Kaká. Also, there's pictures and profiles of the team in the About Us section, and that's on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. And now more from our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. It is Global Money Week, and you'll find plenty of money there in the English Premier League. Stuart,
2: you've done some research there. Yeah, I've just come across some data on who is the highest earner at each of the 20 Premier League clubs. Now, top of the pile are Alexis Sanchez at Manchester United and Mesut Ozil, Arsenal. And each of those are on... $460,000 $460,000 a week. Then there's Kevin De Bruyne at Manchester City, N'Golo Kante at Chelsea, and Mo Salah Liverpool, each of them sort of between three hundred and $380,000 a week. Crystal Palace are paying Christian Benteke $170,000 a week, but the embarrassment is he's only started six games this season. Southampton's highest paid player is from Gabon, Mario Lamina, on about $100,000 a week. And at the bottom end of the scale, still pretty good money by anyone's standards, Cardiff City's highest player, Harry Arthur, is on $50,000 a week, while Brighton, Burnley, Huddersfield and Fulham are each paying their highest earner about $60,000 a week. There may be a certain surprise that Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil are the top earning players in the country, given that Sanchez has only started eight games for Manchester United and Ozil has been in and out of the Arsenal team. In fact, someone has worked out that Sanchez is costing Manchester United $14,000 a minute for the actual time he's been on the pitch this season. But of course, salaries in football, as in any other job, are not fair but are a reflection of circumstances. Manchester United signed Sanchez on a free transfer, and he was therefore able to negotiate a good salary. Ozil was out of contract at Arsenal and could have left without them getting any transfer fee, so they had to offer him a good salary to keep him. And in Kante, there were rumours that PSG and Paris wanted to sign him, so Chelsea had to give him a new contract in order to persuade him to stay there. So that partly explains it, but it's just amazing money for the top players in the Premier League.
0: That's amazing. Alexis Sanchez getting $14,000 a minute for his actual playing time. Also very interesting, that big difference between the top English Premier League clubs and those in the bottom half of the table as far as their best paid players go. And now, Stuart, Gabon's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was in the headlines recently for wearing a mask from the movie Black Panther when he scored for Arsenal in the Europa League. Also, Abamayang has worn a Spider-Man mask in the past. Uh, What can you tell us about celebrations,
2: Stuart? Well, Steve, up to last week, 245 goals have been scored in the Premier League this year. And some poor soul, who clearly doesn't have enough to do, has analysed the celebrations. The most popular celebration is to stand with your arms out wide, and that's happened 50 times in the Premier League. Harry Kane, on the other hand, likes to go into the net and pick the ball up and carry it back to the centre circle. Wilfred Zaha, the Ivorian Crystal Palace striker, beats his chest like a warrior. Another Ivorian, Saul Bamba, pretends he's a soldier, stands to attention and salutes. Bamba also has been known to jump over the advertising boards and hug a spectator. Troy Deeney, the Watford captain, likes to blow kisses to the crowd. And now you mentioned uh, Pierre-Emerick Obermayang. he certainly had a range of these celebrations, I mean, as well as the mask, His favourite one is to point at the player who passed the ball to him. I think that's a really nice touch to sort of saying thank you and acknowledging it wasn't just him. He has also been known to do a somersault when he scores. I suspect the manager has said to him, don't do that anymore, we don't want you getting injured. And a couple of strange ones. Romelu Lukaku stands still and sucks his thumb, while Chelsea's Pedro wears a pair of imaginary glasses. Whatever is that about? Then there are four players, including Sergio Aguero, who like to run to the corner flag and kick it. Hmm. And finally, Liverpool's Sadio Mane likes to slide along the ground on his knees. I suppose there's a lot of emotion when you score a goal and it's quite amusing when people do something different. Uh, Well, it all adds to the fun. Uh, Now, Stuart, just whet
0: our appetite a bit. Uh, Not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, the quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League to look
2: forward to. Yes, indeed. The quarterfinals take place from the 9th to the 17th of April. Ajax play Juventus, Tottenham play Manchester City and those two winners will meet in the semi-final. Liverpool have probably the most favourable draw playing against Porto from Portugal, while Manchester United have the toughest against Barcelona. But that does leave open the possibility of Liverpool and Manchester United meeting in the other semi-final. I know you can prove anything from statistics, but it's interesting to note that this is the 12th time that Liverpool have met a Portuguese team and they've only lost once. Manchester City, on the other hand, have yet to beat an English club in the four times they've met one in European competition. And ironically, the way the fixtures are falling out, Tottenham and City also play each other in the Premier League in April. So they'll have three games against each other in 11 days. The statistics on head-to-heads in games between Barcelona and Manchester United show four wins for Barcelona, three for Manchester United and four draws. But those figures are a bit misleading because United have only eliminated Barcelona once in the Champions League. But if you're a Manchester United fan and you're looking for a Noman, 20 years ago, yeah. Manchester United won the Champions League in Barcelona with the winning goal scored by a certain Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. I wonder what he's doing these days. And if you want to take it further, it was 20 years ago and Solskjaer was wearing shirt number 20. Finally, the Ajax-UV tie is intriguing because Ajax have the youngest team with an average age of 24, while Juve, with an average age of 29, are the oldest team in the competition. Interesting youth against experience there.
0: Well, indeed. So those quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League beginning on the 9th of April and some great games to look forward to. The English Premier League is back this weekend after the international break. The big game is on Sunday, Liverpool playing Tottenham. Liverpool currently two points ahead of Manchester City at the top of the table. Uh, Man City have a game in hand. They play away to Fulham on Saturday, so if they win that, they will go top at least for a day. Uh, that could put some pressure on Liverpool with a tricky match against Tottenham. Manchester United playing at home to Watford with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer being given the job on on a permanent basis as manager uh, with a three-year contract. Manchester United in fifth, uh, aiming to get back into the top four. It's Arsenal in fourth at the moment. Uh, They are a couple of points above Manchester United and the Gunners have a Monday game at home to Newcastle. Sixth place Chelsea play away to Cardiff. Uh, they're still in the race for a place in the top four. Uh, so the standings Liverpool on 76 points, Manchester City on 74, Tottenham on 61, Arsenal on 60, Manchester United on 58, and Chelsea have 57 points. Uh, such a close battle for those uh, top four places for the Champions League for next season. Well, that's just about it for the show for this week. But on social media, we're asking how important is it for a club to be coached by a former player? Uh, Certainly in African football and in many other parts of the world, it's been common for a team to be coached by someone with a strong connection to the club, someone who was a star player, or maybe at least someone who came up through their youth structures and who has an understanding of the club. On the other hand, we are seeing more foreign coaches coming to the top clubs in Africa. So what do you think uh, how important is it for a club to be coached by a former player you can go to our facebook page planet sport football africa and post a comment there or send us a whatsapp to +447955232780 4 4 5 5 2 2 that's +447955232780 from me, Steve Vickers in Harare from Solomon Ashams in South Africa and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a Passion for Sport production.